Good morning. My name is Jared for the, those of us that are meeting for the first time. And apparently the people that invited you today didn't warn you that I would be speaking today. But we're glad that they snuck that one by. Hey, uh, I get to wrap this one up. I asked uh, Kevin last night, our student ministries pastor, who's a great baseball fan, who it is that gets to hit last, you know, because that's pretty cool, right? I get to finish this series up on, you can say that again. And he told me that the person who hits last, you know who they are, don't you? Ninth and the worst. Yeah, the poorest, the poorest. Oh, hey, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm ready to go today. Hey, I want to ask you a question about the kind of family you grew up in. Did you grow up in a family that regularly said the words, I love you? Or did you grow up in a family like mine where those words were hardly ever, if ever, said? In fact, are you ready to vote on it? You ready to go? How many of you were in the I love you family? I love you, yeah. But how many of you are like the Roths? We did it, but we didn't say much about it. Okay, yeah. Kind of a 50-50 split here today. In fact, it was uh, from, uh, one of my uh, uh, extended cousins, actually a first cousin once removed, if you want to be precise. Becky, when she was, uh, oh, probably uh, approaching her mid-30s, as she was visiting her grandma uh, just a few months before Grandma Dorothy passed away, my aunt, And she went home, Becky went home, and she uh, reflected and she wrote something that she read at her grandmother's memorial service a few months later. I wanted to read just a little portion of it. You'll know me and my family a little better as I do. She said, and I quote, I bent to kiss her goodbye. She was uncomfortable with expressions of emotion. I said it anyway. I love you, Grandma. And I waited. Would she say it? I know you do, she said. (laughs) I think about that. Grandma never said, I love you, to me in words. But she said it in so many other ways, maybe it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Well, that's my heritage. I love you in deeds, but not so much in words. But today, come on, even the half of you that weren't from there, let's all read it out loud together, will you? On three, one, two, three, I love you. We can do it. We can do it. Here is this talk today all boiled down into 13 words. Say it if you mean it, and do it if you say it. Say it if you mean it, and do it if you say it. In just a couple of minutes, I want to read with you from Romans chapter 12. In fact, we're going to start at verse 9, and if you uh, have a phone or a tablet or an iPad or brought your own Bible or using one of ours that you find on either side of the auditorium as well, it's just great to dive into God's Word. And you know what happens, don't you, when we read God's Word together? There's, it's like making cookies. You put the ingredients together, you put it in the oven, and it comes out different and better, right? That's what happens to us. When we take God's word and his spirit in a time like this, and we put ourselves in this oven, well, not so much today, but you know what I mean in the metaphor that I'm trying to extend, we come out smelling better for it. So you're going to smell better, Ron, on the other side of this thing, and we are all going to as a result. But on our way to God's word today, let me tell you about an experience I had today. You'll be shocked by this for this week. I found love at the DMV this week. I found, I found love. Now, there might be a country tune about looking for love in all the wrong places, yeah? I can tell you, if your mama told you that, the DMV was on the top five, wasn't it? It's just, 
It's not a place where you would go to find love. I found love this week at the DMV. In fact, I went three times to the DMV this week. I did. I had so much fun. In fact, I went there the first time, and I stood in line for one hour to talk to the person that checks you in. You know, you've been there, haven't you? Yeah. And he told me which forms I needed to take home complete and get signatures for. And so after an hour, I took the forms home, and we got them taken care of that night. And the next morning, I went to the DMV. The next afternoon, I was so excited, and I went in, and I pulled my little number, and I sat down, and I waited for an hour and a half. And then I did the math. That two hours later, when they were going to close, my number wouldn't be close to have been called. So I went back the third day, and I want you to know that my own piggish self, I was loaded for bear, as we say in Sweet Home, where I grew up. And I thought to myself, self, in about four days, you're going to have to talk to all of these nice people about I love you, and you'd probably better create a story here that's better than the one that you're about to dump on whoever this (laughs) poor person is here. And I found love at the DMV. Yep. When I finally did that third day show up at eight o'clock, thank you, because I'm getting smarter over time. I'm going to show up when they open. You know what I mean? I'm there at eight o'clock and I get my number and you know what it was? 61. 60 people had arrived before I had and it was only an hour and a half before I was waited on and I had a wonderful four-minute experience with a man whose name I do not know but was loved like he's never been loved at the DMV. I want you to read with me from Romans, Romans chapter, chapter 12, verse 9. Here it is. Love must be sincere. Now, we could stop right there because that's the thesis. That's Paul's big message. That's the big idea. That's what he wanted to say. But he goes on to illustrate it in 12, 13, 14 ways, depending upon how you count. And so the folks in Rome would understand what love looks and sounds and feels like. He now describes it in a dozen or so ways. Here's the thesis. Love must be sincere. This is what it looks like. Hate what is evil. Cling to what's good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now, you're much nicer people than I am, so it would never dawn on you to say, mutter bad words under your breath at the DMV. I understand that, but you're, you're stuck with me, and I, I want you to know that I have a broader vocabulary than I should generally dip into an access, and there are some times when I'm feeling a little bit put out and inconvenienced, and you know, like, why don't they privatize this thing anyway? Isn't this government at its very worst, and the bureaucracy is ridiculous, and why do, you, why do they have 12 booths and six people working in them, and... You've been at the DMV, haven't you? That's why it says bless and don't curse there at the end. That's why I ended there today. That's why I read it. It's really about me. So here it is coming up on the screen. Here's the big idea today. Say it if you mean it and do it 
if you say it. Would you read it out loud with me together? Say it if you mean it, and do it if you say it. You know, when I read this passage in Romans 12, this week wasn't the first time I read that. I started reading through the Bible every year as a 12-year-old kid. There was a season of several years I read through the New Testament once a month. I've read through this in systematic devotional reading well over 100 times. I've looked at this passage, as many of you have, individually many, many times. Let me tell you what sometimes happens with God's powerful, dynamic word to me. It starts looking like a flower display smelling like potpourri. Kind of sweet, kind of nice, kind of poetic. Guys, I'm speaking to you for just a moment here. I read a chapter that starts with the word love or a paragraph, and I kind of go, oh boy, here we go. This is sweet. This is cute. Let's get through this one. Because I like those Old Testament stories about guys killing people. You know, the, the battles and the warriors and, you know, blood and guts and sweat and, you know, Jared, come on. And yeah, love, 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 love. Or maybe for some of you, there's just the familiarity of, isn't that nice and poetic and beautiful? And love is expressed in all of these wonderful ways. And we want to be sincere. Mamby, pamby, wimpy, love. Okay, you got it? You with me? I want to just take that world and turn it on its head and shake it. Are you ready for this? Not really, but I'm going to do it anyway. Here we go. I want you to race back in time 2,000 years to when Paul wrote this. Paul was in the city of Corinth. He wrote these words, and a few years later, he was going to visit in Rome, gratis of the Roman government as a prisoner, and then he was released, and he came back a couple of years later and got killed for it, beheaded, as far as we can tell. He's writing to Christians in Rome that he hasn't met yet who had just been introduced to their new emperor, the Emperor Nero. This was a dangerous and difficult time to be a Christian in Rome. Nero was 17 years old when he was appointed as the fifth Roman emperor. In fact, Rome at that time had this vast and powerful empire that started in Britain and swept down through southern and central Europe and across northern Africa and well into the Middle East, a geographic footprint far larger than the United States. Powerful, vicious, relentless empire that was ruled out of this huge city of a million and a half people. And there a 17-year-old kid, because of his mother's in political intrigue, was appointed as the emperor, Emperor Nero. This man was probably mentally disturbed as a youth, but certainly began to demonstrate that shortly after his 18th birthday. By the time he was 21, he had his own mother murdered. And at that point, after having consolidated his power, he began a delusional and relentless persecution of whatever group he chose to persecute. He fancied himself as a grand actor and had access to all of the costumes of the great Greek theater. And he would dress up in costume and he would have crowds of people come and watch him and applaud him in his ridiculous theatrical displays. And as he became more delusional, he lost touch with what was real and what was acting. And in the great fire of Rome in 64 AD, a fire that was blamed on him that wiped out much of the city. It raged for nine weeks, or nine days. And the fire was blamed on him because he wanted to do a 
a public reclamation program and build his grand city and palaces downtown. And so the crowd said that he had started the fire. He wasn't in town, but he may have, in fact, ordered it started. But to deflect blame from himself, he said that the Christians in Rome had started the fire. And that unleashed a persecution which has still been unprecedented across a group of innocent people. Christians were torn from their homes and were beheaded if they were Roman citizens. Those that weren't were crucified or they were taken to the Colosseum where they were torn apart by wild animals or they were thrown to vicious dogs or most horrific and common were tied at night to stakes in Nero's gardens where he hosted dinner parties, were covered with flammable material and were lit as torches to light his dinner parties in his gardens. There's nothing that smells like potpourri in this story. When Paul writes and says to people, let your love be sincere, he was writing gutsy words into an environment that we wouldn't come close to approaching. I want to read the story, and I want to read about being nice and being sincere and being generous and being giving and being joyful and being patient and blessing those that persecute me. And I want to say, but you didn't have to go to the DMV this week. That's what I want to say. And then I read what happened in this context, and I say, there's more here than meets my story. Let your love be sincere. Let's think for a minute about this idea of sincerity. In fact, uh, sincere comes from a very interesting Greek word that has a, a powerful picture that goes along with it. But before I mention that, and some of you are aware of that already, let me just ask, help me out for a moment here. When I say the word sincere, what word or phrase comes to mind for you? How would you define sincere? Just go ahead now and lift your hand. I'll call on two or three of you and help me out with a definition. Honest, true, real, authentic, all four sections, amazing. Honest, true, real, authentic, sincere. The Greek word comes from the etymology, meaning to be without wax. Some of you know the story. In the first century, uh, potters were major uh, industry. And as pots were formed, sometimes they had a hairline crack in them, which would make it absolutely worthless. And so the unscrupulous potters would take wax and they would drip it into the crack. And then they would cover the wax and the pot so it looked whole. It looked like it had integrity. It looked like it was real. It looked like it was true. It looked like it was authentic. It looked like it was not fake. The words is without wax. The real deal. Paul says, I want your love to be sincere, without wax. Don't cover up something that's on the inside and act a way on the outside that suggests that you're different on the inside. Integrity, integer, one, wholeness, honesty, authenticity. Now, in the English language, the opposite of sincere would be what word? Sincere and insincere. You're right. I helped out. I know. There's a right answer. It's tough this morning. Insincere, right? 
But in the Greek idea, the opposite of the word sincere is the word hypocrisy, which means just the opposite. It was used there of actors that would hold a a mask in front of them. So we have on one side sincerity, which is being the same on the inside and the outside. If you mean it inside, say it on the outside. And if you say it on the outside, be it and do it on the inside. Sincere. Let your love be sincere. I'm going to ask you to help me with a definition for hypocrisy. What word comes to mind or phrase for being a hypocrite? Fake, two-faced? I don't do what I say I do. Do you remember in Jesus' greatest sermon that was at least recorded for us, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, to Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7. And in the middle, in chapter 6, he mostly flips the coin over. In other words, in chapter 5, he's mostly talking about things to do. And in chapter 7, he's mostly talking about things to do. And right in the middle of that sandwich of three chapters, he talks about things not to do. Both sides of the same coin. And he talks about some people that he calls hypocrites. In fact, he describes them this way. It's later in your notes. It's Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to take just a, read a section of verses 2, 5, and 16. This is what he says. So when you give to the needy, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand in the, uh, the synagogue and announce it with trumpets. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. And when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. As Jesus is saying, is it okay to give and pray and fast? Pretty good things, right? He's all about that. But what he is saying is, there are people who do that, and when they express it on the outside, they are acting as though that's coming from an inner motivation, and it's not. The motivation is to be seen and to look like something that they're not, to look pious and holy when they're anything but that internally. Now, what I really wish was that there were two kinds of people, that there were sincere folks, and there were hypocrite folks. That's what I really wish. See, I wish it worked like this. Uh, ben, uh, you know Ben. Ben is absolutely sincere, isn't he, Sarah? Yeah, that's a very good thing for a wife to say. That's right. So, so Ben is sincere. You know Ben, and Ben is absolutely honest, and he has integrity, and he's authentic, and what Ben is on the inside, he's on the outside. If he, if he feels it, he says it, and if he says it, he does it. That's Ben. Ben's over here in the sincere group. And then there's Jared. He's over here solidly in the hypocrite group. Whatever he says, you can know that it's probably fake. It's probably phony. It's probably not on the inside. In fact, even what he does, you should be suspect about because it probably isn't representing what's genuinely true. He is inauthentic. There's wax all over Jared. So that's what I wish about life. I wish that we could just put people in one of those two boxes. Wouldn't that be handy? Here are the sincere folks. Hang out with them. That's good. And here are the hypocrites. You know, just talk bad about them and point at them and make fun of them. Wouldn't that be handy? Two groups of people. Yeah. But guess what? It doesn't work that way. Which is why the Apostle Paul said to people who were experiencing the beginning of and were about to go into 10 horrific years of persecution, the ninth year of which 
Apparently, Peter is crucified in Rome upside down as by Nero's command. And in that same year, the Apostle Paul is apparently beheaded at Nero's command, spared the fate of crucifixion or burning at the stake because he was a Roman citizen. A year later, Nero commits suicide at age 31. Into this environment, Paul writes to Christians and says, let your love be sincere because it's possible in any moment for any of us to go either direction. It's a spectrum. It's not a state of being. It's a choice I make in the moment whether or not my love is going to be sincere. Let your love be sincere. Well, I told you that I went to the DMV this week, didn't I? Yeah, I kind of mentioned that. And I decided the third time around that it was probably going to take a while, even though I was going to get there bright and early at 8 o'clock. And I thought to myself, self, how are you going to let your love be sincere today? Because I knew the track I was on. I was ready to be a raging hypocrite. Now you say, well, Jared, if you really felt frustrated, wouldn't it be authentic to express that? If you really wanted to tell the bureaucrat off, wouldn't it be authentic to express that? No. That's the point of sincerity. What is true about the most inner core of a follower of Christ? This is what's true about her. She is a carrier of Jesus Christ himself. She is a temple of God's Holy Spirit. She is filled with the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is transforming her into the likeness and image of Christ. She has been given the mind of Christ. And the Holy Spirit is demonstrating his fruitfulness in and through her. And the first description of the fruit of the Spirit is, say it with me, love. That's what's authentically true. When I was driving up to the DMV, I decided whether or not I was going to love sincerely or be a hypocrite. Being a hypocrite would have shown up and being my old Jared piggish self, sitting down in a frump, slumping down, griping through, stomping up, saying what's up, slouching across the counter, it's about time, not being engaging, leaving and muttering. And that would have been utterly inauthentic. That's not the new me. I found love at the DMV. It had to do with making a decision about who I was going to be and what I was going to say and what I was going to do while I was there. Well, I'll wrap it up in just a moment, but let's take a look at what we've discovered here today. Sincere love gives my, the slide's coming up, that describes three big ideas that describe sincere love. You remember Jesus talked about God's love this way, and give me the last word, say it out loud with me, for God so loved the world that he gave. You always find God's love associated with giving, always. Love always gives. Authentic love, sincere love then gives. Let's summarize it with these three things. 14 things summarized under three categories. First of all, sincere love gives the best. It says, 
I want you to walk away from, get rid of, avoid evil. And I want you to cling on to what's good. When I say I love you, I'm making a commitment to give you my best. Not leftovers, not second best. If I love you, you get the best. I'm going to leave the evil. I'm going to hold on to what's good. I'm going to bring that goodness, that freshness along with me. I'm going to love you sincerely. God sent his best. I so love you that I give you my my best. Love gives the best. Second, love gives attention. Notice the words there. They're powerful verbs. Devoted, honor, zealous, fervor, serving, all of our attention. If I sing as we did today, and in a moment as we sing a song of response and reflection, and we tell Jesus again how much we love him, what are we saying? I bring my sincere love, which means, Jesus, I bring my best, and it means that I bring my attention. I didn't just stumble in here today. I didn't just show up to fill us off chair for an hour. I, I didn't just come to observe and to listen to others. I came to be attentive to you, my best and my attention. I come with zealousness and with fervor and with service in mind. There's energy behind this. I wouldn't tell you I love you and not bring passion behind that as well. Paul's asking them to apply this horizontally to human relationships. And he says, there may be no time like this in the history of the church. I added that. But you need to love each other. You you need to be fervent about this thing. You need to give each other your attention. You need to be helping each other in this thing. Your friends desperately need you. If you mean it, say it. And if you say it, do it. And if you do it, it'll be your best and it'll be your attention. And the third is to bring your support, give your support. Mike, you're going to love this. You're a great fisherman. You notice that the acronym is A is, is B-A-S. It's bass. It's misspelled, but it'll be easy for you and the other fishers here to remember. You bring your best. You bring your attention. You bring your support. This is what he said. He says, listen, be, be joyful in hope. Bring a sense of joy to those that you're around. And be patient in affliction. No, going to the DMV, Jared, does not qualify as affliction. But when your family member is torn away by Roman guards, beaten in front of your house, and is lit as a torch two days later to Nero's Nero's dinner party, be patient in affliction. I want you to be faithful in prayer. I want you to share with the Lord's people who are in need. I want you to practice hospitality. You think maybe there were some families that were in need? Maybe some orphaned kids because their mom and dad who loved Jesus were taken out and crucified after being stripped naked and beaten? You think maybe there were some needs in the church? Maybe some homes that needed to be opened up? Maybe some hospitality that might need to be shared? Yeah. Let your love be sincere, he said. There's never been a time like this when love can't just talk. It has to act because love does. So I learned some things about love. I learned that it gives, and when I really love, I give my best, 
and I give my attention, and I give my support, because that's what sincere love looks like when it's being done. So here's our phrase again. If you say it, if you mean it, excuse me, say it if you mean it, and do it if you say it. So this is what I learned. To give your words, I love you. I grew up in a great home, loving home, no question about it. I never heard the three words shared in my home. I love you. Apparently, good Mennonites on the farm just didn't say that. We loved, but we didn't get around to saying it. And the words, I love you, don't just roll off my tongue to anybody. Part of that's because I'm an introvert. And we introverts here, you won't raise your hand because we wouldn't do that. But you know who you are. And you know for us to indiscriminately, flippantly, casually, cheaply, just say to people, I love you, just cheapens this. Because we, we have a few very deep and meaningful relationships, and we might tell those people from time to time that I love you, but to just meet somebody and say, I love you, there's a sense of cheapening that for us. Any of you with me? Just wink at me. Don't out yourself, but just <laughs> wink at me, yeah. And then there's some of you extroverts, I'll never get you. It's just, I love you all over the sloppy place. Just, I love you, I love you, I love you. And sometimes I wonder, do you really? And I wonder exactly what that means. Wax all over those words, cracks all over it. Oh. I don't think we're looking for a happy medium, but I do know this, we're looking for the same value. Love must be sincere. And if you mean it, say it. The words, I love you, don't just roll off my tongue, but they're getting off my tongue more and more. And they're getting off of my fingers into emails and texts more and more. And I am saying things like, Bob, I love you. Wally, I love you. Brian, I love you. Bruce, I love you. And I'm learning to say what's true inside because that's sincere love. The second thing that we've learned is that we're going to give our best, our attention, and our support because that's what love really looks like. As the band returns in a moment, we're going to be, they're going to be helping us as we respond together in a song and we sing to Jesus about our love for him. I want to tell you about an opportunity that we're going to get as a church, a community of faith, to say to our community, I love you. Uh, you've heard, you've seen signage about uh, Summerfest that's coming up on August the 12th, and we're going to just throw a grand party for our community. In fact, there's some stuff that happens early that we're only going to talk about later. It's so over the top and fun. And then at 11 o'clock, we're going to have a grand worship service together outside in the field, and we'll all get to three... Uh, Services will worship together, and we're going to have a time of water baptism, and the message that day is going to be just so much fun for kids and for us older kids as well. We're going to have a grand picnic and barbecue. We're going to have fun and games and blow-ups and carnival kind of thing, and why are we doing all that? 
Because it's one of the opportunities that we in a church are saying to our community, we love you. We say as a church, we love kids. And so how are we doing Summerfest? Well, we're going to be sincere. And we're going to give the best that we can. And it is going to be over the top. And we're going to give our attention, which means we're going to show up. Actually, we're going to sign up. We're going to pray up. We're going to show up. And we're putting on the party for our guests. And that's why it's not so much about us as it is about them. We're going to give them our attention. And then we're going to support it. We're going to, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be receiving an offering. It's going to go for kids going to camp. It's going to go for Summerfest as well, because we're going to support it by our giving financially, <clears throat> by our time and contributions, by our faithful prayer between now and then, for Jesus to meet with our friends there, because as a community, we will love sincerely. Well, I told you that I found love at the DMV this week. And this is what it looked like to some unsuspecting man who knows my name because he saw the paperwork, but really didn't care. A man whose name I do not know and probably never will, and he'll probably never see me again. But he got loved at the DMV. As I was sitting there for my 90 minutes waiting for the first 60 people to get, did I mention that? Yeah, 60 people. I thought, how am I going to do love here? And I looked across the folks that were working and and I decided one of those is going to serve me today, so I'm going to pray for each of them. And I, I don't know these people. I, I prayed in, with understanding. I prayed in the Spirit. I prayed for each of them. I kind of imagined and thought about their life. I looked at them. Most of them didn't smile very much, even though it was early in the day. I watched the people who were coming up and how they presented themselves, and I thought, I can probably do better than that in most cases. How am I going to actually come up there? And I thought about joy, and I thought about attention, and I thought about bringing my best, I thought about providing support, and I thought, I'm going to find love at the DMV. When number 61 was called, I was so excited, and I jumped up, and I had good posture, and I didn't run, and I didn't shuffle, but I walked, and I maintained eye contact, and I came to the counter, and I said, thank you so much for helping me today. I really appreciate this. And he looked at me like, what planet are you for you from, big boy? <laughs> And he took the little papers and he did his little thing and I let him do his work. He didn't want to take long and I didn't need for him to take long. But there were three or four steps in the four minutes and at each step I interjected something and I said, sure, appreciate your help today. And thanks for what you've done and you've really helped our family with this. And I just wanna thank you and I hope that you really do have a great day. And I smiled and I looked him in the eye as I left. Now, I don't know that he knew he was loved. I don't know. I didn't ask him. That would have gotten a little bit creepy. Did you feel love from me today? Didn't need to go there. In fact, I think that would have solved me, put me over on the hypocrite side of things, don't you? But I will tell you this. There's no doubt in my mind about this. If I hadn't loved him, he would have known it. If I hadn't loved him, I would have changed his day for the worst. If I would have slouched my way up, landed stooping over on the counter, complaining about those bureaucrats with some kind of word in front of it to qualify it, and how stupid it was to have to wait so long, I certainly would have changed his day, wouldn't have I? And I would have been a stinking hypocrite. Because like you, I've invited Jesus to live in my life. And he's come here through his forgiveness for my sin, 
with the power and person of his Holy Spirit. And I've asked Jesus to baptize me with his Holy Spirit, to just not only come in me, but on me and just saturate me and drip me and run me over with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's work is to make me like Jesus inside out and to produce his fruit, which starts with the word love. I wasn't a stinking hypocrite at the DMV. I chose in that moment to let my love be sincere. Would you let him transform your lives? And can we, as a community of faith, be growing in sincere love? Listen, if you say it, mean it. And if you say it, do it. Let's tell him today as the band leads us how much we